thanks to my friend Cheryl Roll. I was introduced to Mike Coleman, who's our guest today on Your Stories Don't Define You, How You Tell Them Will. And I'm really eager to get started because I know that Cheryl gave him a copy of my book while he was writing his memoir, which is about to be published. And it's super exciting. I can't wait to hear more about the book. Yes. <laughs> so Mike, thank you so much for joining me today. It's such a pleasure to have you. Well, thank you, Sarah, for the invitation. And I have a big thank you to you as well for your book. Uh, Cheryl gave me the copy in late 2020. Uh, that was the year it came out, I think. Mm -hmm. And I had just finished my first draft when I got your book and started reading it. And you know what they say about first drafts, right? Mm -hmm. The writer Anne Lamott has a, a certain term for them, but I, I won't use that here. But it's usually true. You know, they, they can be a mess. And mine was, uh, I think mine had more in it than it needed to have. That was my biggest challenge, paring it down. And reading your book really helped me focus and look for the pivotal moments that helped tell my story in the way I wanted to tell it. So I did a lot of cutting between draft one and draft two. And a lot of that was thanks to you. So thank you. It's a great, great book and a, a wonderful tool, not only for writing, but I think especially my book is about coming out and it's about uh, my husband's and my nearly 50 years together and how we've sort of crafted a life together when we, we met in the 70s and didn't really have a role model for how we were supposed to do it. Uh, and I, I think your book is a good template for the coming out process because Everyone who comes out has a story to tell, I think. And there are different ways to tell it. You can tell it with, with anger. You can tell it with grace and forgiveness. And uh, your book helps get your thoughts aligned in the right way, I think, before you tell a story. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for saying that. Uh, I would love to know, um, and we'll kind of swap this back and forth. I'd love to know when you wrote your book, what was your goal? Like when you thought about somebody reading your book, what did you want them to think or feel or understand at the end of it? Sure. Well, Ted and I had been living in rural North Georgia. Uh, we thought we were going to retire there, but we ended up really missing the city. So we moved back to Atlanta in 2019 and started, we joined a new church and started meeting new people. And I got so many questions from people when I told them that Ted and I had been together almost, then it was almost 45, now it's almost 50 years. And I sensed a genuine interest, like, wow, you know, how, how did you do that? What was it like when you met in the 70s? Times have changed a lot, right? Uh, so that was sort of the inspiration. My goal was to tell our story, and it wasn't easy in the beginning. It hasn't been easy along the way, but I wanted to tell the story of us. I kind of see our relationship 
kind of riding the crest of the wave of the gay liberation movement in this country from the 70s to today. Uh, not long after Ted and I met, the uh, TV series Soap opened. It mm -hmm. had its its first the first gay character on a TV situation in comedy, and he and his boyfriend were not allowed to touch. The network powers that be said, "No, we can't have this on the air." But you look at today and Will and Grace and how things have changed in the media and everywhere else. I wanted to tell that story and how it has impacted our relationship and how it's the societal changes have supported our relationship and changes in the church have helped support our relationship and I hope have been beneficial as a result of those changes. Ted and I have been very active in our church. The church has given us a lot. We've given a lot back, I hope. So I wanted to tell a positive story uh, about a difficult struggle that has a happy ending. Mm -hmm. I love that. I, I was just talking to somebody, uh, Lee Keylock, and his episode will be out soon. Um, and he talked about reading a book that had the tragedies in it, had the struggles in it, and also had those cracks that let the light in. And his goal was to have people go toward that light rather than stay in the darkness. That's a wonderful way to put it. Cracks that let the light in. I love that. But well, it's, it's true. It's an old Leonard Cohen. I think it's a song lyric. Ah, I didn't know that. And I love Leonard Cohen. I'll have to check that out. Yes, definitely. You know, those cracks that let the light in also make for an interesting story. You know, they who do. was it who said if your main character is having a good time, your reader is not? <laughs> people, <laughs> people want conflict mm -hmm. as they read. So, uh, yes, it's incumbent upon us as storytellers to make a story interesting and the cracks help do that and how we deal with them and survive them. You just made me think of the, the typical storyline. You know, we have the story arc and yes. um, I, there was a session at no longer virtual in Atlanta in 2019 um, with uh, beard and bowler, Jason Ellinger. And he, he and his um, business partner, talked about the fact that we need a guide in every story. And sometimes your light is your guide when you don't have an external person to be your guide. That's what just popped into my head is if we can look for the light, then sometimes the light can be our guide when we don't have a mentor or somebody else that can push us forward in our story. That's a wonderful way to put it too. I had a good light in Ted, my husband, as well. He was a little farther along the coming out curve than I was, and a lot more comfortable being gay than I was when we met. So he was a guide in some ways, too. And that was another reason I wrote the book. I wanted to pay tribute to Ted. It's kind of a thank you to him. Uh, he's helped 
hold us together through the years. So, uh, yeah, that was that was another reason I wrote the book. Did anything change in how you read and how you pick up books now since you've written and nearly it? Let's back up. When is your book out? Soon. Soon. Okay. <laughs> it, it was going to be October. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're running a little behind schedule at Riverdale Avenue Books. So I don't have an exact release date. The book mm-hmm. is still in proofreading. I do have a cover design. It's not ready to be revealed yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that much has been done. To I'm, I'm hoping that I can say uh, truthfully that it will be out in time for the holidays. So late 2022 is what we're going for. Yes. Good, yes. good. So um, I know that having written and published a book, the way I read has shifted and the things that I do when I read has shifted. Like for one thing, now when I read a book, if it really resonates with me, I immediately go out and write a review. And oftentimes I'll actually call the person or check in with them and ask if they'll be a guest on my podcast. So it changed everything about how I read. I can relate to that. It's changed me that way too. Uh, I have a website. It's my author's website. And I blog. I try to blog every other week at least. And sometimes the title of my blog is, my friend has a book out and it's good. And it's a review of, of something that I've read recently. Most often by someone that I know who's written the book, but sometimes not. Uh, yes, I've been reading more memoirs lately. Mm-hmm. So I read many before I started mine, but I'm reading a lot more now. And uh, sometimes I'm reading one currently that's so good, it just makes me want to close the covers and go, oh, you know, why did I even attempt this on my <laughs> <laughs> so there, there's a little bit of that going, oh, you know, this is a really good way to view this. I Maybe if I had spent a little more time, I might have had this angle on, on our, our activities too, but not so much. It's taught me, I'm being facetious, of course, it's taught me to appreciate more a really good writer. Uh, we have a nephew who's a foodie. Uh, he's a branding guru as his day job but he loves food and he loves to cook and he also likes to read he is a huge fan of anthony bourdain and has Mm -hmm. highly recommended his books i i knew anthony by watching him on tv but had never read any of his books before i just started kitchen confidential and he is such a wonderful writer as a writer, I don't know if you've read him, but just the first five pages are brilliant and beautifully done with a beautiful perspective. Uh, and yes, the same kind of, of grace as he talks about growing up and what his parents were like and what kind of kid he was. And yeah, it it's taught me to appreciate more, I think, good writing, especially in the genre of memoir. Mm, That makes sense. 
I, I I feel the same as when I read something that's really well written, well edited. Um, even if I don't like the book, even if I don't like the story, I have a different appreciation for it than I used to because I know what went into it. And on the flip side, when I read something bad, I put it down. I read a book <laughs> it's a couple of years ago. I only read the first, I don't know, four pages. And then I literally threw it away rather than give it to somebody. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, who edited this? There were pieces cut out, like sentences ending without ending. Um, so something was cut off at the bottom of the page. It wasn't, it was clearly not proofread. And I just thought, oh my gosh, I'm not wasting my time and I'm not putting my reputation on the line by giving it to somebody. <laughs> I, I, I like that. I think that's a sign of maturity too, as a reader. I, I used to, especially if it was a popular book or a classic that, you know, everybody said, you've got to read this. And I didn't, I wouldn't like the book, but I would feel compelled to finish it. I'm not that way any longer. If I start something and it doesn't grab me or any things like you saw in the book you threw away, uh, yeah, I'll just sit down and I don't feel guilty about it any longer. I'll just move on to the next thing. There are plenty of other good books out there. Yes, no kidding. And we don't somebody, need to waste our time. <laughs> right. And some really unknown writers. I, I think uh, one other thing that changed how I read is uh, when I worked at a, at the library here in Helena, Montana, the Lewis and Clark Library, um, when our boys were little, I took a job there so that we could have uh, health insurance because my husband had just gone self-employed and we didn't have a way of getting health insurance. So I got this job and I would have 20 books on my library card at any given time and I'd be reading four at a time. And that's... <laughs> That's when I realized, okay, if I don't like a book, I'm putting it down because there are thousands, millions of them, then I'm going to like a lot more than this one. So I'd put it down. And another thing that changed was when my older son, who generally would just read nonfiction, he had no interest in fiction and novels. He read the uh, the Hunger Games series. And after he read the first one and was starting to dive into the second one from the library, he asked me to read them so that we could talk about them. Wow. And I, uh, yeah, you don't say no to that, even though I really did not want to read those books. They're good books, but the the concepts of them are, it's just so dark and tragic. And I have enough of that in real life. I don't need to yes. read about it fictionally. <laughs> so um, I, I ended up reading the whole series because Jacob asked me to. Good for you. So now he is uh, more turned on by, by fiction than he used to be. Is he exploring other writers too? I think that um, got him into the, the, it's almost like historical science fiction because oh. it's parts of history that take place in the future. So um, the Warhammer series, he's just completely devoted to. He knows all the characters. He knows all the different groups of of armies and and peoples and civilizations and um it, it's it's fascinating to see his trajectory and his reading and interests from this nonfiction. i could not get him to read any of the children's books you know the the early readers books so we would go to the library and go to the nonfiction section and find books written for kids about nonfiction. so 
history and um, survival, like anything about camping and hunting. And <laughs> it's very Montana. He's a very Montana kid, even though he was born <laughs> in Washington, D.C. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, um, when you're writing your book and you decided on certain pivotal moments, I keep coming back to your first comment about the my book helping guide you to understand which of your stories were the ones that needed to be included in order to tell a, a broader time period. Mm -hmm. And tell me a little bit more about that. There is another, there is a, a noted structure for writing memoirs. There are many structures, all different kinds, and some authors follow them, others don't. Uh, but there is one where uh, it's called a, a five-act memoir as, as novel structure. Uh, and I followed that as well, uh, where each act has a crisis and a resolution, crisis and a resolution. And then ultimately, there is the big crisis at the end and the denouement. I found your book helped me pick out what the pivotal moments were in each of those five chapters and really helped me examine my life and look at the look at the moments that helped tell a particular story in the best way there were a lot of things that i wanted to include and i was thinking okay this is my memoir i'm going to put it in in here because I want it in here. I want to tell this story, but it, it wouldn't fit the overall arc, as you said, of the book. It would kind of take things off course. So I looked for those moments that would help tell the story in the clearest, most efficient way uh, and would lead to an ultimate resolution. So it was really a matter of looking back and saying, okay, what, what helps tell my story the way I want it told within this particular framework of two men trying to build a life together against a backdrop of enormous change in attitudes toward LGBTQ people. And that that was the essence of my book and reading your book helped me get to that essence and say, okay, this is the story. And these are the moments that will help it help tell it the best. Oh, I love that. So many people do that where they actually include a story that veers it slightly off track. And mm -hmm. I think it leaves the reader with a conflicting ideas about the story of what you're trying to accomplish in it. Right. And we, as writers, we want to be direct and don't want to, to cloud the issue, want to paint a clear picture. And that's what these pivotal moments help, help do. Oh, that makes sense. It's so interesting to hear your perspective on this, partly because I've been teaching this for years, uh, helping writers or uh, public speakers or leaders 
know which stories are going to matter with which audience and and what your goal is and being more intentional about the stories that you share because every story you share speaks a lot about who you are and certainly how you share it. And I just had this conversation with somebody because um, a friend of his had written this beautiful uh, reference for him. And I said to him, he was, he was raving about his friend. And I said to him, you know, a lot of times what somebody writes about somebody else speaks more about the person who's writing it. Hmm. So that's, um, that just kept coming back to me as you were telling that. So now I'm really curious, and this is the best part about writing this book, the way that you did it is that you can incorporate those stories that you couldn't incorporate in your book into interviews and into book talks. So when people say, you know, tell me about your book, you can say, well, here's a story that I didn't include. Yes. And I, I have a file of, of all those at the ready. <laughs> Yay. Okay. Share one with us. Well, there's one, I was thinking about it again this morning while I was swimming in the pool, you know, being a swimmer, you have lots of time to think doing laps, which is <laughs> another re- reason that I do it. But there is a story of something that happened early in Ted's and my relationship that's that I think is really strong, but it, I didn't find a place for it in the book. We had known each other for maybe six months, and we went to a party. We were living in Nashville. Ted was a grad student at Vanderbilt. I was working as a reporter at the afternoon paper. So it was a fellow grad student who had this party, uh, but it turned out later in the evening to be just gay men who had stayed till midnight to, you know, have another drink and, and chat. Well, the topic came up then, and the year was 1977. If you could choose whether to be gay or not, would you? Well, we went around the room, and everybody said, and this, to me, now, it's even more dramatic than it was at the time, but everybody said, no, I would not choose to be this way. My family is against me. You know, I'm scared about coming out at work. Everybody said, no. We get to Ted, and Ted says, yes, I would choose to be this way. And people said, why? And Ted looked at me, and he said, because if I weren't gay, I wouldn't have met him. And he pointed at me. We met at a gay bar. So that, to me, was a pivotal moment in so many ways. And I I see it today even more pivotal pivotal than I thought it was at the time. Not only in appreciating Ted and what I had with this guy, what we had together, but also looking at myself, I was all ready to say no, along with everybody else there at the party. No, I wouldn't have chosen to be this way. My parents are miserable. You know, my my mother is angry at me, yada, yada. So um, it started me thinking really deeply about 
how can you not be happy? How can you not accept the way you are? When, how do you get to the point where you can say, yes, I wouldn't change this about me. And I realized I had a lot of work to do to get to that point. So, yeah, that's definitely another story that I'll pull out in, in some way, shape, or form sometime. I'm sitting here with chills. My eyes welled up a little bit. Uh, <laughs> Just because I feel like I was there. I was sitting in that room with you. And it's probably a lot of cigarette smoke in there. <laughs> oh, there was. Yes, in the 70s. There had That's to be. That's what I'm imagining. You know? <laughs> right? So, Well, I'm a child of the 70s. I was born in 1970. So I'm... I'm feeling that, like, I remember those times and how hard it was for my cousin, who was much older than me and was out. I don't ever remember him not being out. Um, and so he probably has some some stories that I haven't asked him about. And maybe it's time for me to have him on my podcast as well. And the other part of me, like, what really struck me about that story is how sad it was. I mean, I was thinking about our boys, and we have two boys, they're 21 and 24, and for them to wish that they were something else than who they are, it just breaks my heart. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here just feeling very emotional about how we treat our children and who they are and whether we're embracing all of them not just the parts we like or we agree with. The, that's so encouraging. I, I just love hearing that, Sarah, because my, my book also addresses the point that even though our culture has changed, and yeah, Will and Grace is on television and things are a lot different now, the family has not so much i i don't think uh i we know a lot of gay people who still struggle coming out to their families all their friends might know but and that's part of my book the struggle of, of coming out within my family a lot of friends we we knew people who were perfectly fine with ted and me but it was the family that that had not advanced along with the culture. So it's very refreshing and heartwarming to hear that, yes, your family is open to these changes and these realities. And yeah, it's very good to hear. Well, I'm, I'm glad. And really, I know more like me than I do the other. And, but I do know that there are families who are fine with other people being gay, but having their, their own children be gay is a different thing. And um, I remember, well, you see that everywhere. You know, when I was dating a guy who was um, of German descent and definitely not Jewish, and his family was fine with me being Jewish, but they weren't fine with me dating their son. <laughs> <laughs> right like they can accept my judaism but the the idea of it coming into their family was um hard on them so i totally get that my <laughs> my mom was 
was a very cool lady. She was an artist. She had lots of gay male friends who were fellow painters that she held around with. And uh, I felt that it should be easy to come out to someone like that, but it wasn't. And I learned through the process of writing my memoir to be more understanding of my mother and under and figure out why she was like that and why it was hard for her and to view all that not with anger any longer, the anger that I had when I was in my 30s, but with forgiveness and understanding. Uh, Cheryl, who read my book in an early draft, said, your mother went as far as she was able to. And I think that's a, a wonderful way to put it. Mm-hmm. So was that your conclusion, that um, she went as far as she was able to? Or was there something more that you could understand from her perspective at that point? I think it was just that she had gone as far as she was able to. And I don't know. There, there might still be some things I need to investigate there. <laughs> I would uh, agree with that. But I, I sort of left it at that point in the book. I, I, the reason I ask you that is that I am a parent of young men, and I, I embrace all of them, and I know that there are things that are hard on them. Anything that I would be upset about when it comes to who they are, the the only things that I would maybe have a hard time accepting are things that would make them suffer. And so from a parent point of view, from a mother point of view, I can tell you that one reason that she may have had a hard time and really struggled with it is because she loved you so much that she didn't want to see you suffer. And especially at that time in our civilization, she knew that gay men suffered. She knew better than most because she had all these gay friends. She knew what they were experiencing. She knew the trauma. She knew in that room, even though she wasn't there, that all of those men would have answered, no, I would rather not be gay. She knew that. I she didn't want that, that for you. Right. She didn't want that for you. It broke her heart to think about you suffering. That's a great perspective. Thank you. It's coming straight from my heart to yours as, <laughs> as a mother and knowing that that struggle. Um, and uh, our boys have been through hard things. And I know not to take those away from them because it's part of what makes them the amazing human beings they are, is those struggles that they overcame with our support, with our nurturing, with the foundation of love that we gave them. And yet I still, there are times where I would rather just push those obstacles right out of their way so that they could have smoother sailing. I know better, but the the urge is there. Absolutely. Yes. And it never goes away. No, no, no. My mom still tries. (laughs) (laughs) And all three of us are, are, old enough to know, but <laughs> yeah. Oh, that just, that just makes my heart, I don't know, warmer thinking about your mother and, and how much she loved you just from that interaction. Yes. I can just feel it. 
So what's another pivotal moment? Maybe that is in the book as we kind of pull this full circle. When you think about the stories that you told in that book and how they helped you process things, what's one that changed for you? Because I know when I wrote my book, every every story I shared helped me move through the story again. Even though I knew the story backward and forward, I remembered, obviously our memories are flawed, but as far as I was concerned, I was remembering this vividly. And I still found that I was reprocessing and coming to grips with certain things about myself and about my history that helped me move to the next story. So what was one experience like that with you where writing it and exploring it again helped you process an experience? I think that the moment when I decided and this is sort of separate from the story of Ted and me. When I decided, when I learned that I was really good at something, that I was a writer and I could write and I could do this and I could make money at it and all those things was a, a wonderful revelation. And I see a lot of people today not having that, not being able to find what it is that they're really good at or right for. Uh, but I do talk in the book about my early days in journalism, and there were some key pivotal moments there that uh, brought me closer to the profession and then led me away from it later on as Ted and I, as our relationship grew I began to see, I think one line in the book is that there were more important things than the next big story or my byline on the front page of the paper the following day. So the the whole topic of writing and, and being a professional writer or whatever you're good at, uh, I realized what a gift that was. And I owe a lot of that to my parents. They were both very literate people. We talked about books at the dinner table. We really did. The TV was off. Uh, we'd have these extended conversations about a line in a song from The Sound of Music. What is a rue? What, what is a cad? You know, we. my father would love these conversations about words. And delving into all of those experiences, again, just made me more grateful for my upbringing, first of all, and for this gift or, or whatever it is that I have of being able to write. I knew that I could do it, and uh, it's been one of the things that's pulled me through some tough moments, through some cracks mm. in life. What an amazing takeaway. I mean, there are so many ways that that question could have gone. And for you to see it as, as you're writing and putting together this book, that realization of how fortunate you were to have, not only have the skill, but know about it and be able to nurture it and have it grow to this point where you've written a, a whole book, a memoir. And I know how hard it is to write a book. 
especially a good book. <laughs> especially a good book. <laughs> wow. If you could pick a story, whether it's in your book or not in your book, one of the ones that you cut, that you would want somebody to hear who was coming out and struggling, what would that story be? I think it might be one of the stories about early on when I did not choose the right path, when I was still trying to conceal who I really was, when I was trying to be someone else. Uh, these were times when my values did not guide my decisions, but I, I wanted to please other people. Uh, there was a moment when I was a, a kid, I was 12 years old and struggling with Boy Scouts, not happy being a Boy Scout. And my mother was saying to a friend, I overheard this, that she wished the Scouts would plan more activities for boys who weren't all boy. <gasps> and yeah, and that struck me. She wasn't being mean. It was just kind of the way things were. I agreed with her. I, I knew I wasn't all boy. I just didn't know what to do with it. So, but that moment, I worked against that moment for many years. In college, I dated a young woman. We, we were very serious. We uh, dated for four years. We were close to getting engaged. I kept wow. pushing that back. So I, that was a moment when I was a kid that had, that resonated across across a decade or more in my life that I tr tried to work against and that didn't work out. Wow. It, because it could have gone one of two ways, right? You either went against it, like she's wrong. I am all boy, watch this. Or, mm -hmm. oh, she's right. What, what am I going to do with this? And it, it would all depend on, I guess, your mother in, in some ways, because she's the one that acknowledged that in you. Wow. That's intense. I worked against I, it. Of course you did. <laughs> of course you yes, did. Uh, for, you, for many years. And that's another way I've, I've, I'm paying tribute to Ted, because I think once I met Ted, he he kind of turned the lights on for me and said, okay, is this really, <laughs> is this what you're going to do with the rest of your life? Were you dating the woman when you met Ted? I was. I had wow. moved back to Nashville where she was living and working. And the plan was uh, my parents had retired there and we were going to be this family together and we were going to have children and grandchildren for the parents. And uh, it felt like a treadmill to me, and it was moving faster and faster, and I didn't know how to get off it. I, I did not on, uh, on my own. Uh, but I met Ted, and as I said, he turned some lights on for me, and started me thinking about, you know, what are my real values here? I know who I am. 
I know what I feel inside. Why do I have to keep denying that? Even though it might hurt other people in the process, I need to make some changes here. So I did. Well, it would hurt her so much more later down the road. Exactly. So much more. If we had had children, of course, mm-hmm. you know, it would have been a disaster. Well, of course, all kinds of questions are popping into my head. How did that go? How did you break up with her? Was she okay with it after a while? And, you know, all those questions that aren't really relevant to your story. Um, but the other thing that popped into my head is that when you did that, and as you talk about it, I guarantee there are thousands of people who can relate to that story. That I think you're having right, to change that and and realize you tried so hard to be something else and going down that path of getting into a relationship with somebody that is not the right person for you and being on that treadmill and not knowing how to get off. As a matter of fact, my friend Andy Vargo tells his story very similarly, and he's he's only in his forties now. So. Um, I love that you just told that story. Did you tell that story in your book? I do tell the story in my book. And oh, it's good. interesting you say about the the story resonating because I, I had a feeling it would. Another thing that really underscored that for me was my editor at Riverdale is 25 years old. <sighs> and he took an interest in my story, which said a lot to me. I thought, you know, here's this book by this old guy. He's almost 70. What's why should I I be reading it? But he said he loved it. He loved the characters. He cried at the ending. Uh, So all those things told me that maybe I have something here that appeals not just to the baby boom generation, but to the younger generation, too. That was very encouraging to me. Oh, absolutely. Your stories are completely relevant even now. There are parts of our world and parts of our country even that have gone backward. And there are a lot of young people suffering right now because of it. A lot of young people, and so many that don't even know that they're suffering because they don't know why they're suffering. Ah, heartbreaking and beautiful and that crack in the darkness it's all it's all over the place today mike thank you so much for sharing your stories i i'm so grateful that you took the time to talk to me about this on the your stories don't define you podcast because it's this is so relevant to not only our current times and what's what are the things that are going on politically and across the country but also when it just simply comes to people sharing their stories and how important it is to be intentional about not only the stories you share, but how you're sharing them and the stories that you're telling and how they're affecting your internal messages and that dialogue that's going on in your head. Thank you so much, Sarah. It's been a delight to talk with you. Just wonderful. Ever since I read your book, I've been going, we have to meet sometime. And Now meeting you, on Zoom is is just terrific. Thank you. Thank thank you for your thoughtful questions and for a great discussion. 
Absolutely. And we will be in touch. And for our listeners, uh, what is your website for the book? It is MikeColemanAuthor.com. MikeColemanAuthor.com. We will have that link in the show notes um, with the podcast at ElkinsConsulting.com. And um, if people want to reach you or, or see your blog, that's on your website? Yes. There's a way to okay. subscribe to my blog and you'll get uh, you'll get each new edition before anybody else does as a subscriber. So yes, that's a way to stay in touch. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I know our listeners will want to, at a minimum, go to the site and check out a couple of your blog posts and hopefully they'll subscribe as well. And for our listeners, when you buy that book, if it resonates with you, don't hesitate to reach out to Mike and let him know. And write a review on Goodreads, Amazon, wherever you buy your books. Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you, Sarah. Bye. Now listen to me, honey, while I say, how could you tell me that?